Sin would love to destroy us. Sin, S-I-N. It's a real word and it's a real thing. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. And I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV for 2023. It is great to have you with us as we continue to study and go through the Bible. We began yesterday in our Bible guide, and now we're going to continue on as we go through from Genesis to Revelation. But Corey is here. Corey, go ahead. Yes, I am back. I'm very excited to be back. And today we're going to be talking about what was lost in the fall of mankind. Ryan? Well, today we read about the tragic fall of mankind, as Corey just said, and that was a result of Satan's influence through a serpent. Really? A talking serpent? Yes, and a lot of people have a really hard time swallowing that. So I'm going to be dealing with this difficult passage. A talking snake. Can you believe that? Okay, Janice? Yes, welcome to our first TV broadcast of 2023. My segment today is about gentleness. Genesis 4, 1 through 11. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Welcome to 2023. What a great day to begin reading through the Bible and God's Word. And today we begin by reading Genesis 3 to 5, yesterday 1 to 2. And let me tell you something, it is interesting. Now murder comes from sin-filled hearts, the hearts of man. Deep-seated pride, deep-seated anger, and jealousy are in our hearts. Now, in Genesis 4, we read that Cain first became jealous of his brother, Abel. So he did what was normal. He murdered him. Not a good idea. And the story of Cain and Abel is a remarkable antidote of how disobeying God can lead to abandoning God by becoming our own authority. We are not born into innocence without sin. 
but we grow to learn that there is a God and we come to a place where we begin to understand the difference between loving and hating him. To become born again, as Jesus Christ explained to the religious leader Nicodemus in John chapter three, is a new beginning. So why do so many have hate? So many have pride. So many have anger and jealousy and murder in their hearts. Clearly, we all need a new beginning in our life centered on God. And that's where Jesus Christ tells Nicodemus, this is why we need to be born again. We need to be rebirthed. Now, this is a really good idea for us to consider if we have not been. Jesus Christ used that to explain to Nicodemus. Now today, I want to encourage you to take your Bible guide and turn to the passage. It's just page two. And if you don't have a Bible guide, let me encourage you that this year would be a great year for you to join us in reading through the Bible. 33 years. This is our 33rd year of going through the Bible, and it is exciting. I can tell you that I've read the Bible all those years, and I can tell you that I learn something new every time I go in it. And the scripture, as you explore it, comes out and, and you begin to hear what God is truly saying to us. So, beloved, I would encourage you to get the Bible guide. You can get it online as well. Today, the beginning of murder. Murder did not come from some other source. It didn't come from some other place. It's in our hearts, beloved. And Jesus Christ said to us, if you've murdered in your heart, that's just as bad as murdering in the physical realm. And Jesus Christ knew what he was saying. So let's pray and ask God to teach us his way and show us his path. Father, in Jesus' name, we're going to read this story about Abel. And we pray, Lord, that you would teach us your way and show us your paths. This year, as we go through the Bible, we are beginning in Genesis. And we pray, Lord, that you would teach us again how it is that we are deprived off of our original thoughts. And God, you are the only one by coming to you and allowing you to come into our hearts, the only one who can set us right. So Father, help us today in Jesus' name. And we said together, make it so. All right, let's look at the scripture and see what Genesis 4 says. Now, Adam knew his wife. She conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Now, that's interesting because that's what she said when he was born. I didn't make the man, my husband and I, I acquired him from the Lord. And then she bore again, and this time his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Now, do you understand that God responds to our heart and soul when we respond to him in offerings? Beloved, we must come to the Lord Jesus in humility, not in pride. A couple of things we need to say here. First of all, why would you be a keeper of the sheep if we did not eat meat at this time? Because we didn't eat meat until Genesis chapter 9. So we need to keep that in our souls and understand that this is very important. 
Who was it who made the first skins for Adam and Eve? It was God. He's the one that had to sacrifice an animal to put skins on them to cover their nakedness. And beloved, we need to hear that and understand that it is not God who created murder. It is man. Now we're going to get to that in just a moment. Let's read on in verse six. It says, so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, Cain? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. Now keep that in mind. God tells us that sin's desire is to kill and destroy us, to rule over us. But God's desire is that we have life and overcome sin through him. Beloved, that's very important. So today we see a lot of protest of people doing a lot of things and we say, well, that's great, that's great. But what, what we need to understand is when we come to know the Lord Jesus, we say, Lord, I need you to control my life. So help me, Lord, through you and you, your, your thinking and talking to me, then I can learn that I need to do that, not just to follow my desires. That's important today. Very, very important. Now, here's what happened. Watch this. Genesis 4, verse 8. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Cain killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Let me say that God knew exactly where his brother was. And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. God knew exactly what was going on, beloved. God knows our sin. We would do well to confess our sin to him. And when we do that and we say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. And Father, I can tell you right now, Lord, I speak to you. I, Rod Hember, I am a sinner, Father. And I thank you for allowing me to accept your son, Jesus Christ, and his Holy Spirit. And your Holy Spirit covers me, Lord, protects me in the sacrifice that Jesus made takes care of my sin. So when you look at me, you don't see my sin, but you see the work of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for that. And Father, I pray today that people would hear you and respond to you. If you respond to Jesus, just say, Jesus, wherever you are, I need you in my heart. Forgive me of my sin. I believe that you were killed on the cross, but you rose again on the third day. Help me, Lord and come into my heart, be the Lord of my life, in Jesus' name. And we all said together, and this is what is really interesting, the word amen means make it so. And we all said together, Father God, make it so today, in Jesus' name.
Now, as we begin to study and read through Genesis, I realize that most of us have heard the creation story many, many times. So sometimes this does us a disfavor. It means that we kind of just rush through it to get through it because we know it already. Uh, or maybe, you know, we've heard so many arguments over Genesis 1 to 3. You know, is it literal? Is it allegorical? Does it leave room for evolution? Or the days, literal 24-hour days? All of these issues that we can talk about, but sometimes they distract us from the actual point of Genesis 1 to 3, which it's a real shame because these chapters set up redemption history. They actually introduce us to God's plan of salvation. So in order to understand the mission of Christ Jesus, we first have to know the premise of that mission. To get the last Adam, we should probably also understand the first Adam. So let's jump into it. The first chapter of the Bible firmly establishes that God is distinct from the material world. He is not the world. He is not nature. Rather, he created them. He gave them purpose. And just as the Spirit of God is said to have hovered over the waters of creation in Genesis 1 verse 2, so God reigns even over the physical waters of the world. Now, water, as you, as you and I still know today, it's both devastatingly unpredictable and dangerous and painfully necessary and life-giving. So it's easy to see why water represented chaos in the ancient Mesopotamian and Near Eastern cultures that Israel was a part of. Genesis 1 establishes God as the master even over chaos. He's overall. Now, Genesis 1 also lays out the purpose of mankind, to be ruler over God's creation, right? Images of God, yet not God. We were to rule the earth in God's place. This was what he wanted. Now, when we get to Genesis 2, it lays down some clarification. There was a rule. Now, even though this rule was simple, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it was also profound. It created a choice for mankind. Would they be content to be rulers under the authority of God? Or would they need to cast off his moral constraint? Would they need to become their own authority, their own God? Now, to be under God's authority meant safety, provision, and life. The garden was lush, it was safe, food and life were guaranteed. To cast off God's authority and eat from the tree meant the exact opposite, guaranteed death. When Eve and Adam chose to try to become like God and eat from the tree, they became aware of their nudity. They realized their vulnerability. Protection wasn't their default condition anymore. Then in fear, they hid from God. They had lost their security, their safety and comfort. What was once safety and protection had become vulnerability and fear. Next came God's description of how life would now be. To Eve, God outlined how painful childbirth would be. Remember that up until our modern advances of medicine, childbirth was a leading cause of death for women. Uh, so as a result of Eve's choice, to give birth to new life would now guarantee some death. Birth became a risky business. New life was now nerve-wracking. It was dangerous and uncertain. And added to this, the male-female relationship would now be tainted in some way. Life had become death. To Adam, God described how man's efforts to grow food would be painfully laborious, not just in the hard work, but in the inevitability that sometimes all the right work would be done and still what would come from the fields would be thorns and thistles. A failed crop for any reason meant death. 
Now, this is maybe what we should take from the phrase, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. That farming would now bring great anxiety, nervous sweat, waiting to see if the crops would actually materialize, waiting to see if they would live or starve. And the futility of human life is explained in the phrase, from dust you came and to dust you shall return. The ground was supposed to receive seed and produce food for mankind, but now it will receive their dead bodies. The symbolism in this wasn't lost to the Apostle Paul, who speaks of our physical bodies as a type of seed that will change on the day of resurrection from the dead. And perhaps it's captured in the picture of the whole earth groaning like a woman in labor. Back to the point though, mankind didn't just lose immortality when they sinned against God. They went from creatures endowed with property and position, creatures with guaranteed harvest protection and relationship to vulnerable, dysfunctional, homeless beings. Beings who would need to struggle to create all these things anew. Purpose and provision had turned into survival and fear. Eve and Adam became their own gods and now had the responsibilities that the true God used to handle. And it turns out it was a terrible trade-off. So how then would this situation be remedied? How would mankind's relationship with God be reestablished? The scene is set. How will it be reestablished? What a great passage of scripture to think about after that. Um, you know, I mean, sin is such a major thing. Uh, and we're gonna be studying this over the next couple of days. Uh, it really is a change. And as we look at this, we need to understand our life where we live now, understand pain, understand what's going on and how the medical system has changed it. Wow. Very good, Corey. Good to have you back. Brian? All right. Well, to go along with today's reading, I want to address the elephant in the room. And that's the talking serpent we encounter in Genesis chapter 3. And have you ever noticed that when you ask Bible skeptics why they don't believe that the Bible is the Word of God, they usually start with the book of Genesis. And they say things like, come on, you don't really believe in a talking snake, do you? Well, whether you're a cynic or a Christian, this passage can be challenging. But let's take a closer look. Although the Bible claims to be God's word nearly 4,000 times and maintains that every word of God proves true, it tells a seemingly far-fetched story in Genesis chapter 3 when the serpent spoke to Eve. Many scoff at the account of a talking snake, and even several Christians want to make this account metaphorical rather than historical. But perhaps it's not so far-fetched as it sounds. Consider, for example, the many types of parrots that can mimic human speech. Certainly, if God gave this ability to parrots, then there is very good reason to believe that he also gave it to some of the other types of animals as well, especially in a perfect creation. And despite the fact that numerous animal types have since gone extinct, many animals even today communicate through sound or mimicry. Of course, mimicking human speech and speaking intelligibly is not the same thing. And when the serpent spoke, it was clever enough to deliver a cogent message capable of deceiving her. So then, how are we to understand this account? Since the Bible clearly identifies both a literal serpent as well as a demonic presence in Genesis 3, 14 and 15, we can rule out the idea that Satan merely took the form of a serpent. The serpent was indeed a real animal that Satan indwelt. And aside from Genesis 3, the only other instance of an animal talking in the Bible is Balaam's donkey. And this was only through the power of God. And since no other place in scripture reveals that Satan or demons have the power to cause animals to speak, it makes more sense that the serpent could make the sounds capable of speech and Satan used this to his advantage. 
In essence, Satan likely used this feature that the original serpent had and caused it to say what he wanted. Certainly, serpents do not mimic speech today, but there is a reasonable explanation for this. Because of the fall, there was a total cosmic and physiological shift, which might mean that this particular kind of serpent did not pass along the genetic information required for speech, or has since gone extinct. So let's not doubt God's word as Adam and Eve did. Every word of God from Genesis 1 all the way to Revelation 22 can be trusted and will ultimately prove true. So I do hope that this segment got you thinking, and there is another possibility as well, which is that in our pre-fallen state, we may have been able to understand and communicate with the animal kingdom. But in any case, this passage of scripture can be hard for some to believe, and even some Christians want to make the Genesis account metaphorical rather than historical, even though it is clearly recording actual events, as many of the other biblical writers confirm. But the answer isn't to change the plain meaning of the biblical text to fit what we believe is reasonable. That's elevating man's word above God's word. And next to God, we know nothing. So what we need to do is let God teach us what happened rather than us telling God what happened. And you know, it's like Martin Luther put it, if you can't understand how such a thing could have been done, then grant the Holy Spirit the honor of being more learned than you are. For you are to deal with scripture in such a way that you bear in mind that God himself says what is written. But since God is speaking, it's not fitting for you wantingly to turn his word in the direction you wish it to go. God says what he means, and he means what he says. Yeah, in fact, he does. And that's fascinating because here we have the authority of the Bible, which this program is all about, and we're talking about it as the Holy Spirit. Janice. Yes, well, and I'm so glad that you've decided to stay with us today. And I hope that throughout the year, you will make the commitment to read the Bible with us this year, all the way from the beginning to the end. And this is our 33rd year going through the Bible. And Rod, isn't it so true that every year we're discovering more and more about the Word of God? It truly is it's the living word. It's a living book. And, and today I called my segment gentleness, which might seem like an odd title for Genesis chapter four that deals with Cain murdering his brother Abel. And this is the first murder that we see take place in the Bible. So why would I call this gentleness? As I began to read through, I was really struck by verses six and seven. God is confronting Cain with what he's done. And he says, so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. Listen to this. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. You should rule over it. And sin has not changed. That is something that we still deal with as humanity because we are imperfect people. Now, Christ came. He sacrificed himself and died on the cross to forgive us of those sins. But we do still struggle in that area. I think that we need to focus on gentleness in our spirit. And the only way that we can do that is through strength in God's Holy Spirit. That's Jesus Christ living in us. So taking some points from these verses here, don't let anger rule in our hearts. If we have come and committed our lives to Jesus Christ, then it needs to be God who is the ruler of our heart. 
don't make excuses for our behavior. You see, Cain dwelt on it. He dwelt in his anger. He, it somehow made him feel better, I think, to dwell in that anger, that somehow he stirred up in himself that it was his right. It was his right to be angry. And the only way that he could take it out that he thought was to murder the problem where the problem was actually in his own heart. So let's not let anger rule in our hearts, but let God be the ruler of our heart. Let's not make excuses for our behavior, but let's take action against it. What kind of action can we take against it? We need to ask for God's help. We need to dwell in the word. As Rod said earlier, this is why we focus on this program with bringing the word of God front and center. Do we have all the answers? No, we don't, but I know who does. And it's in the Bible because it's from the heart of God. And so when we go through difficulties, God is there for us. We have access to the God of the universe. That's mind-blowing, but it's the absolute truth. And he wants that relationship. That's why it's not about religion and a set of rules. It is being obedient to God and what's in his word. But that's because we love him and we want to serve him. We don't want to let evil rule in our hearts. We want to let the God of love rule in our hearts. Um, Philippians chapter four, verses four and five is written by Paul. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. And he gives some more advice later on in verse eight. Meditate on these things, he says. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Let God rule in our hearts. I want to remind you that prayer time is very important and we encourage you. Prayer and praise is what we call it. And we want to join in the prayer meeting. And so join us at 3.30 to 4.30 every day. That's Monday, Wednesday, and Friday every week, I should say, on Facebook, YouTube, and Bible Discovery. We're going to begin our prayer meetings there. So join us, pray, and let's watch the Lord work. Father, help us today. And thank you for saving my soul and our souls. In Jesus' name, amen.